This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. We promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. In this episode, we have Jenny K. Pollock, Lead Subscription Monetization Manager at Together Labs. Jenny, welcome to the Pacific Apps Podcast. Thanks, Art. I'm so glad to be here. I'm really excited to sit down and chat monetization with you today. Great. Thank you for coming. So let me set the stage first. If I remember correctly, a few years ago, uh, there was an industry-wide research conducted with tens of thousands of developers. And that research revealed that what was like for them to be part of the mobile app ecosystem. One of the findings was there was only a very small number of them for whom developing apps was a hobby. The bulk of people went into mobile app development to make a living, to generate profit. How to grow my app user base, how to increase my app revenue, how to increase it sustainably, what to do about this huge app users churn that I have. All these nagging questions cross a developer's mind day in, day out. In this episode, Jenny will tell you about how to conduct a user research to help you to build your app monetization rate. Before we're going to be tackling this huge question, Jenny, let's kick off our conversation with talking about you first. Tell us about yourself. Sure. So I lead monetization at Together Labs. And when I'm not at work, I'm either rowing on the bay or uh, hanging out with my corgi. So uh, his name's Tater, like a potato, and uh, we have a lot of fun. So that's what I do when I'm not at work. I adore corgi, to be honest. Uh, that was a great chance for me to meet one here recently. I do really remember those moments. It's just so much fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I wonder how much he or she understands about monetization, but that's not a question. Her. Yeah, not so much. He's more focused on, you know, other things like kibble and snacks and how to steal my lunch and that kind of thing. So <laughs> maybe a, less on app monetization for him, but that's okay. because That's where I come in. Yeah. Somebody has to do this hard job. So it's not for Corky. All right. Uh, now, tell me about Together Labs. Uh, what do you do, guys? Yeah, so Together Labs develops technologies that help people worldwide to connect, create, and earn in virtual worlds. So our mission is to dramatically improve how people socialize online and use that as a catalyst for authentic human connection. And I primarily focus on our MView property, and that is an online metaverse that's been around for, you know, 16 years. And it's really cool to see all the connections that people have made and, um, you know, people build avatars. And then there's a whole system where our users create 3D digital goods for the avatars, everything from rooms to outfits. Uh, so it's a lot of fun. Yeah, just you just give me an idea about Meta. Uh, it could be a subject for a different different interview, a different episode to cover Meta and uh, what do you guys think about this phenomena and how it's unfolding. But on this episode, we're going to be covering the different stuff. So, um, as a famous Chinese saying goes, the journey of a thousand mile begins with one step. 
And that brand's journey to unlock app user spend starts with when the app's users download the app. Jenny, uh, could you please talk about the right mindset app developers should have to make that step happen? Absolutely. Whether the developer is looking at it from a business standpoint or even from a hobby and trying to get their code out there in the hands of users, it's so important to think about this first step as what value your app's offering. So having a clear value proposition is key. You want to communicate that everywhere from the name of your app to the icon you're using, even um, the features that you're building, more importantly, the features that you're building really. Um, I think it's important to show users what they get when they download your app right off the bat so they can come in with the right expectations. And of course, you can get more downloads and more users trying your app. I know people may um, listening to this um, answer believe that this is kind of a generic statement, but it is not. It is for you to be mindful about every feature you're putting into your app, every aspect, the visual, um, any, anything that will be uh, will form the perception of people who will be using the app and will tell how useful it is for them in their daily life. It's crucial, it's important. Um, there's no just one you know, um, recipe that fits uh, the whole spectrum of apps, but this is the mindset you should have to make it happen and to make your app long-term success. Absolutely. And I think it's important to continue to iterate on that too. You throw something out there and you're working with value prop number one, and you think that, hey, this is what the users want. Well, as you're talking to the users, as you're getting user feedback, you're seeing app reviews, that kind of thing, it really makes sense to um, iterate on what you're offering and what your value proposition is and what those features are. And I think that's what we're going to dig into uh, today. Exactly. That's why you have iterations for application, like pretty much any app. Apps for Apple are not built in the version one, and that's it. You can see it's the software for Apple, just their current and developers team going through iterations, listening for feedback, seeing what apps, uh, what features go up, what features being um, you know welcomed and whatnot. Nobody uh, can be you know absolutely perfect in their approach from the uh, version one. So there's a always this learning curve. You have to listen carefully, get the feedback and improve your app. Now, uh, I watched your presentation at the App Promotion Summit in San Francisco this uh, late September, and you brought up this four-step framework. Let's walk our audience through this framework, starting with the step number one which is essentially about asking people what features the app should have. How do we do that? It may sound simple, but when you start thinking about it really hard and start doing that, it's not that simple. Yeah, so the first step is just ask. And one of the things that you wanna do here is figure out what you're trying to learn. What are your research goals? And that's gonna be the foundation of everything that happens next. So once you determine, hey, I want to know if users would pay for this particular feature, um, then you, you might be thinking, how much will they pay for this feature? And what I recommend doing is drilling down and figuring out if you want to start with user research um, in terms of quantitative or qualitative. So um, when you're looking at the quantitative side of things, it's typically like a user survey that you can send out. You can use SurveyMonkey or Google forms. And then on the other side of things, you can do user research um, as a 
conversation as an interview, having a script and getting together on Zoom or Google Hangouts and actually connecting and finding out the details of maybe what was in the survey is the way that I like to do it. And I wanted to explain a little bit about the order of the questions and how that matters. So if you're trying to figure out if people are aware of a feature you offer, don't start by asking questions about that feature. You're gonna to wanna to be very mindful of the order of the survey and of course the order of the user interview uh, questions as well. So it can be kind of tricky to make sure you're not accidentally giving out information in the earlier questions. Yeah, this is all called in um, one of these leading questions. Do not lead your witness. Let them speak their mind first. Uh, do not suggest the features you really want to imp implement yourself. But it's not about you at this point. It's in this moment you're listening to these people, what they have to say. Absolutely. We live in a very dynamic world, and the app industry mirrors its rapid changes. Your app growth depends on new knowledge and skills like never before. This December, one and only Berlin will open its doors for app marketers from all corners of the world. Go to appcommotionsummit.com slash Berlin to register and be part of it. Yes, yeah, so once we've got the research data, the next step you suggest is called science. Uh, I do hope it's not about launching the next space telescope to explore the galaxy and the universe. What is, uh, what is this about? You know, Art, I think that that would be awesome if it was, but that's a little bit outside of the app store scope these days. So sure. what I would suggest that you do is you actually look at the data you've received, whether it was from a survey or a conversation with the user, um, and kind of synthesize that information. These are the trends we're seeing. We're seeing, you know, 50% of our users would pay for this feature. And then, you know, maybe you find that another segment of users would not pay for this feature and that kind of thing. So as you're looking at that, you're, wow, should we build this feature? Is it worth it? We found they'd maybe pay $5.99 a month for it. That's great. Um, you have to mesh that with your business goal. So really add them together. And when you do that, I think it's really powerful because it creates a reaction that produces a killer feature. And that means killer revenue. And that's what we're all here for, right? We wanna provide yeah. that value, but we also want that business upside. So you have to look at it and look at your KPIs or your OKRs or your MBOs or your SMART goals, whatever your organization calls it, and combine it together with what you found because you wanna make sure that you're going towards the direction that your company or your team's trying to build while also supporting the users. It's a little bit of a balancing act. Yeah, this is where you're crunching your numbers. Um, yeah, that, that's the actual, the, the science, you've got your data and now you have to analyze and make sense of it and uh, make sure you're not wasting your time on collecting where, um, just wanna quickly bring out this point, which used to be a you know exercise when you try to listen to the potential users, the future audience of the app. There was a practice five, seven, eight years ago when you're conducting you know, focus group research, so you're actually inviting people sitting in front of you, filling up the questionnaires. We're living in the you know, COVID, post-COVID era where we kind of forced to, to move on to doing online research, but in some sense, not a, it's not a bad thing. You may reach out vastly more number of people to conduct a research and be 
mindful about the decisions you make. It's not going to be based on, you know, on the opinion or information provided by 20, 30 people, but a couple hundreds, a couple thousand peoples. And you're aggregating this data and you base the, your um, strategy for features in the app, how the, the look and feel will be of your application based on this huge amount of data. Okay. Now, moving on to the next step, which is creative. What does this one imply? Um, I think uh, you brought up this uh, great quote by Henry Ford, which at the beginning of the 20th century, when the company was going up uh, and um, become famous and below the company we know now, he said that if I had asked customers what they wanted, they would have told me a faster horse. That was Henry Ford telling it at the end of at the beginning of 20th century. What would you say right now about this step to be creative? And um, how about this quote? Yeah, so this is really where your expertise as the app publisher, as the developer, as the marketer come into play. So yeah, back then people would have asked for a faster horse. They didn't know cars existed because they didn't exist, right? They didn't know it was possible. But you could find out from the user research you did that they want to get from point a to point B faster. And there's a different way to do that than a really fast horse. So, uh, you know, I like my car. It's great. It's safe. I don't have to, you know, feed it or anything like that. A lot less maintenance than a horse. So um, you really need to look at what the user's telling you. And I think we're so familiar with these user stories, but it's so important. As a user, I would like to get from point A to point B faster. That's really what they're telling you when they ask for that faster horse. And so what you wanna do is look at how can you creatively solve this problem, not just the first answer the users give you. And sometimes you'll come up with something and you actually have to go back to the users to ask if that's the right solution. Would you enjoy if you had a you know, really fast box that would get you from point A to point B <laughs> magically right. without the horse, right? So you definitely right. want to infuse your expertise. And then if you do end up far away from where the users were suggesting, go back and ask them again. Oftentimes users are really excited to share their thoughts, opinions, ideas. Typically they're really passionate about your product and your app. So definitely leverage them. Yeah, right on spot, Jenny. It's about actually having both components, scientific and creative, in the same setup and the same uh, workflow of to create your app and uh, make it a success. Final step, roadmap. Uh, for somebody, it may be a spooky word because we're, we're all uh, energized and uh, really excited about the idea to create an application and usually it's like just a spark that makes you uh, go to create a, pro a project, uh, but then roadmap kind of implies to you it's a long way to go. It's a marathon. And this really just, there's no way around it. You have to get the roadmap right as a concept to run this marathon and be successful. We're not talking about weeks, we're talking about months and years, given how much iterations you're going to be building on top of the first iteration of your app and to make sure that the whole app business idea is sustainable. It's a business that can grow. So what is the right approach to build the one front application, the right roadmap? 
Yeah. So every organization I've ever been at, whether it be building apps for fun or whether it's a variety of different startups I've been at, there's never enough engineering time. There's always lots of feature ideas, lots of suggestions. And what you need to do is work with your internal teams to get their buy-in and support. So I recommend starting with maybe three people that you could see who would be excited about the feature you're suggesting to make that you found. Share your user research data, do a lunch and learn with the company, let everyone know that, hey, 50% of users are asking for this feature and they'd be willing to pay for it. And here's the, you know, potential upside. Here's how much we could bring in if we do that, you know, project that out, do the model, do the return on investment calculation, and then tell everyone. If you're not sick and tired of telling everyone about your proposed feature, you haven't been telling enough people. You should be telling anyone who will listen and building this coalition of people who are excited about the feature and willing to support you. Then you'll be able to get on the product roadmap once you do that. And so you kind of go on an internal PR tour, you know, you really do have your talking points, share your data, share your projections. And then once you do that, people will be really excited to know how you're going to impact your users and how you're going to impact the bottom line. Those are the two key things. So make sure you have a very clear and crisp plan that you can share and articulate very easily across the entire company. Yeah, once you succeed with that goal, you kind of distill that um, idea in their minds. It will help the whole team to run that marathon and be effective and stay the course uh, to make your app a success. Now, because we all tend to remember the beginning and the end of every piece of information we listen, hear, or watch, let's give people kind of a rundown of four steps one more time. Of course. So start by just asking using your quantitative and qualitative research, then do a little bit of science, combine your user research with your business goals, then get creative, add in your expertise. And then once you decide the direction you're going, make sure to build that internal coalition to get on the product roadmap. Okay, we've got four steps for you to remember guys. Now, I want to ask you a question that is not related with these uh, topics we've just covered uh, directly, but still, what does make you shake your head when in that marketing, whenever you encounter this thing and you go like, once somebody will notice that it's not right, how come nobody haven't, couldn't understand that that's a wrong thing to do, we should change it? Yeah, that's a great question, Art. I think the thing that I see the most is people, when they're building an app or teams, will want the app to be perfect. And I know we talk about this so much in the startup world and the business world, but it's so important to get a minimum viable product out there. I know even I myself, when I'm building hobby apps, I'm like, ah, I can't put it out there yet. Don't let anyone know. Don't put it out. And mm -hmm. uh, most of my stuff is just web app based, but I think it's so, so important to just get it out there and get the feedback from your users and iterate because otherwise you're going to spend all this time building something. Then you'll go get feedback to find maybe you should have gone the other direction entirely. So it's just so important to get that minimum viable product out there. What's, what's the right saying? Uh, perfect is the enemy of good or something? Yes, I believe so. <laughs> yeah, but just remember about that proverb and do not fall the trap. All right. 
So we've covered the major topic of the table. Uh, this is the first part of the show is over. We're transitioning to the second part, which is a small one, but I like it because this is my chance to give my audience a little bit better, more um, comprehensive picture of people who are coming on the show. And uh, here we go. Question number one. What smartphone do you have now? Uh, have you been switching between these two giants or staying one side all the time? Yeah, so I have the iPhone 13 mini in white and I've got a pop socket on the back of my little dog, Tater. Nice. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I'm pretty much team Apple when it comes to using a phone. Uh, luckily, my husband is team Android. And so I get to use his phone to test when I want to check out what's going on on the Android side of things. So every now and then I have to steal his phone to see what's going on <laughs> over there in uh, the Android world and just kind of understanding what things look like and comparing how things are different in you know the two um, app marketplaces. I think it's key to be um, knowledgeable about both sides as a marketer. Absolutely. So you can get the best from both worlds. You can stay with the Apple as your favorite platform. At the same time, you always had a chance to you know, take a sneak peek on the other hand and know what's going on there. That's perfect. Now, back in time, your first mobile phone before any iPhone existed on this planet, what was that smartphone? It wasn't smart. I guess it was a flip phone. Oh gosh, I can't even remember the name of my flip phone. It was silver and blue. And uh, my dad and I had the same one. And one day we flip-flopped them. And that was not great being in high school and trading phones with my dad. But my first smartphone was a Droid X2. And I remember being very excited about having access to the internet and everything in my pocket. So that was a really exciting time, uh, revolutionary. But yeah, I, I was Android back then, but... Gotcha. Uh, yeah. You know, it's very telling when I ask people about their smartphone back then. The first thing they remember is the size and color, because back then it was about just a couple of features, placing call, phone calls, sending messages, and playing Snake. That's it. So the most vivid part of that memory is the size and color. Yeah, these days it's the opposite. Like, uh, what does it they think is capable of? Uh, now, thinking about these things that your smartphone is capable of. Uh, imagine you left your smartphone at home, you're going out for whatever reason. What would be that missing feature for you? Well, I don't get that far without my phone because I'm often using Google Maps. So the good news is I don't get that far without it. Uh, the bad news is if I am without it, I might have no idea where I'm going, even though I've been in the Bay Area for like seven years. <laughs> Yeah, and people are still questioning that smartphones are not extension of our brains. They do. Not physically, luckily, knock on the woods, but uh, as a concept, as the tool, it's the extension. Like, used to be a pen, used to be a pencil, and every, every, anything for writing. And now your smartphone is the extension of your, of your brain. Uh, quite literally, it's spending the capacity of what you can do on a daily basis. Yeah, it offers so much value, you know, from telling me where the traffic is to being able to order mobile Starbucks without having Absolutely. to like, deal with anything and wait in line. Uh, there's just so many pieces that it offers. The um, value proposition is very strong for that. Exactly. You're, you're planning your life, your day in a, in a head like you never could do before. Um, perhaps there's something um, that is missing on your uh, beloved iPhone mini 
and when I say missing, I'm not implying specifically more um, software hardware feature that will uh, that is lacking for that that only and you would like the state to be able to be capable of doing that. What that thing can be? That's a great question. I think that for me, I set my notifications so they turn off at a certain time every day. And I think that's so important. So I've actually been really enjoying the controls that they have coming in, in terms of not being on your phone too much. Uh, I think it's a really powerful tool, but because it's so powerful, you can actually spend a lot more time than you mean to on there. Mm -hmm. uh, like the little reminders that pop up and tell me how much screen time I've had, you know, yeah. week over week, you've been on 12% more this week. Um, so I, I think that that is really important and I'd like to see, you know, Apple and, um, you know, Google and all the other tech companies continue to offer this, uh, support. I think the thing that's, um, so that's something I have that I appreciate and I'd like to see it built out more. I would also like to see uh, smaller phone sizes. You'll notice I have the mini because mm -hmm. it fits in my hand. It fits in my pocket. It's small. I, I miss the days of them trying to make the phones smaller instead of trying to make them bigger. Right. Uh, right. So, you know, everyone teach their own, but uh, I would really like to see continued smaller phone sizes. Exactly. Ergonomics. We still have this, the hands of the same size. Our fingers haven't grown up because of the smartphone. The ergonomics are still there and they, it hasn't changed for the last 10 plus years. And um, yeah, um, being able to keep the balance uh, with everything in your life and smartphone especially is a great thing. And yeah, uh, solving this problem via software is a smart way because there is a thing uh, you can buy in Amazon, it's basically a box, put your smartphone inside and there's no way you can open it for a certain period of time, no matter how much, how hard you try how hard you want to get your phone back. Um, but this is kind of an extreme case. Ideally, we would like to have this features being built in as a software. So we can kind of gradually find this equilibrium between utility and uh, having it too much in your life. Yeah, I've seen that box and I thought about getting it for a minute. And I was like, no, what if I need my, you know, I just exactly. I can't do that separation that they're um, trying to help me do. It, it's hard. It is. Okay, before I let you go, very, very final question, Jenny. How can people get in touch with you and get more information about what you do? Awesome. Great question, Art. So I'm all over the internet. As you know, I'm on my phone a lot. So you can find me on Twitter or LinkedIn or on my website, www.jennykpollock.com. And there I do have a little worksheet that can help you with this four-step framework and a few other worksheets to help with your app development. And for the sake of the audience, we will add that worksheet to the description of this episode so people can check it out right here as they listen to this episode. And yeah, that's that's uh, that's the end of the episode. Jenny, thank you so much for coming to our show and spending time with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Art. This has been really fun. Terrific. Uh, and that was Jenny K. Pollock's lead subscription manization manager at Together Labs. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast to on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Just search Business of Apps and you will find us easily. Remember, we release episodes on Mondays, so subscribe. And you'll be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet, or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review 
or comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com. 